It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Welcome to Barely on Topic. We are recording. Barely on Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> what? I was going to get there. <laughs> I thought this was an inspired pivot. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> we missed you too, Jeff. I'm sorry I broke your flow. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first, nor will it be the last. All of this has happened before, and it shall happen again. Anyway, yes, barely on topic, barely on Stanley Cup final. We're recording. Stanley on, on topic. Oh, there we go. Oh, my God. You know, I'd figure out a better one eventually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're recording on May 20th. 20th. May 20th. Sure. Yes. Yes, we are. May 20th, which also happens to be Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy's birthday and Cher's, Cher's birthday. Oh, well, how about that? You know, a few weeks ago, he said he liked Cher. So maybe it's because they share a birthday. Because they share a birthday. (laughs) Yes! I feel like that joke was Tim's job. That's okay. And I'm (laughs) VA, and I'm here with Jeff. Hey. And Tim. Hi. (laughs) We recorded last week, but I feel like we're out of flow. Maybe it's because we've never recorded this late in the season. That could be it. Not when there's actual hockey to play, yeah. Right. Usually by this point, we ended recording like a week before, and we were sad, and nothing. there was nothing really good to report about. We were just talking about people's injuries. and. Oh, and that would, and that would have been like several weeks earlier. We're an entire – we're two rounds two rounds later than, uh, than we've ever made it in this show before. So we're like in that dead zone where we'd all take a breather. Before we came back and talked about off-season stuff, you know, after we got over the show, after we got over the loss. Yeah. As we all predicted, the Bruins totally swept the Carolina Hurricanes to get to this point. No, we did not over correctly no, no. predict that. No. I'm kicking myself. I've been kicking myself for almost a week now. I said I was going to go bold. Why did I not go bolder? Why didn't I go bolder and go for four? I said five. It was four. Five was the right call at the time. I felt so. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sorry. I went with six because I honestly expected Carolina to put up bigger a bigger fight than they did. No, they pretty much laid down uh, after game three, didn't they? Yeah, that's yeah, uh, some captain they got there, huh? Oh yeah, but man, oh man, did Marshy continue to live rent free? In Williams' head during Game Three. Yeah, I will say um, Williams seemed to, you know, remember what he was there to do by Game Four. Not that it did them any good at that point. No, no, no. All right, we're all very excited. It doesn't sound like we are. I think it's because I'm still trying to like make sense of all of this. I, I, I have seen the Bruins go to the final before. But I, I really thought the Carolina would put up a fight. I thought that 
we'd still be in the series maybe, or at least in the series a little bit later. So I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm super excited. Yet I can't express it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I think for me, the thing that it's hard to get extremely excited right this instant because we're still like a week away from games. And we also don't know who is coming out of the West. We have a good idea and we'll discuss that a little bit later, but we don't we don't know. So it's it's really hard to get super pumped because you just don't know what's on the other side. So why don't we talk about games three and four in the meantime? Okay. I'm gonna sit out game three because I was, you know, traveling and stuff. So uh please proceed. <laughs> he he was a, a traveling man, makes a lot of stops all over the world. <laughs> all right, so game three. It was at Carolina on May 14th, which is uh, last uh, Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. Last Tuesday. I know how dates work and time. I know how time works as well. Game three saw a goaltending change for Carolina. They went from Peter Mrazek to, what's his name? Curtis McElhaney. I don't know if I said his name right. Whatever. McElhaney. Yeah. McElhaney. Yeah, one of those rare times I don't get his name right, but I don't care, even though I am the pedantic linguist. You know, Morazic was coming back from an injury, and he wasn't himself, but also the, the Bruins have done a good job of figuring out Morazic over time, because they used to face him like four times a year or something like that, so it doesn't really matter, because Carolina lost this game. They did. But not by much. Not by much. So what was remarkable about Game 3, I remember writing something up about this and, and thinking... And keep in mind, I didn't even see anything until just before the second period. I think I I went, I decided because, well, they're probably going to win. Caroline's probably going to win this game. So I don't really need to be here. And I really desperately needed to go to the gym. So I went to the gym and I was back by the second period. Um, And coincidentally, that's when the scoring happened. So, you know, but in the first period, I missed the deluge of penalties Uh, Because the Bruins had six penalties themselves, and the uh, Hurricanes had four, and three of those were by their captain, oh, captain, Justin Williams. Yeah, he he just fell off a cliff, and and it wasn't really Marshan that really got in his head. It was Krug, of all people. If it wasn't all three, at least two of the penalties were directly against Krug. It was good for the Bruins that Krug decided to uh, get a little pesty. But beyond that first period, the Bruins were outshot 20-6. to And uh, Carolina came out firing like we thought they would. Everyone thought that they would, they would come out in the first period and really try to set the tone and get a lead. And they did that, uh, or they tried to do that. And I remember saying in our last episode that the Bruins can weather that if they can keep still keep the Hurricanes at bay during that period. Then they have, they'd have a good chance to win. As we know, they were able to. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, Williams was trying to do just shitty things, doing shitty things to uh, Krug in corners and stuff like that. So he deserved to take some penalties. And I still think that it was it was left over from Marshan. I really do. They got in his head. They got in his head, and he couldn't shake it. Because he, he just didn't look like himself. It's just just having nightmares about Munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our lollipop guild. Our lollipop guild decided to take them on. 
<laughs> Take him on. He just closes his eyes, and all he can see is 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 Brad Krug and Grizzly dancing in a row. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> It's a really bad look if you take six minutes of penalties in the first period. You yourself, the captain of the team. If, if Chara did that, we'd also be like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, we would we would be pissed if Chara did that. And uh, yeah, it was bad. I don't know that I've seen someone be less composed in such an important game. Oh, I wrote a little song about, or I didn't write a song, but I, I wrote a verse of a song about the first period. Ready? Take me down to the penalty city where the ice is cold and the play is gritty. Oh, won't you please score some goals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a parody right there. That's, that's what that is. <laughs> I think it was actually, won't you please score a goal, but whatever. Oh, nobody likes it when I pre- <laughs> Justin Williams basically galaxy brained himself out of existence. Hey, you can't be Mr. Game 7 if you personally ensured there can't possibly be one. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Lollipop Guild. <laughs> okay, so the, the scoring in this game, it all happened in the second period. That was it. it did. Uh, the only period you really needed to watch was the second period. <laughs> It's true. And in the second period, too, after the Bruins were outshot 20-6 to in the first, they outshot Carolina 18-6 to in the second. See, it all evens out, right? You know what's remarkable is that last week, Tim and I were talking about the problems that the Bruins were having in the second period. And how, you know, I'd heard on the, the hockey show on 98.5, Bob Beer's talking about how the long change is really messing them up with trying to get people on and off the ice. So it seems like in games three and four, they figured out the, the second period scoring woes or the second period woes because the, these two games, that, that's when the scoring started in each game. In this game, we had the mayor of Walpole, Chris Wagner. Yeah, he scored the first goal, and it was a really nice pass. Um, I forgot who it was from now, but it was Nordstrom. really nice. Yep, it was Nordstrom. Nordstrom was the primary assist. Nordstrom had a really good series against his old team there. He did. It's almost like he was motivated or something. <laughs> yeah, weird, right? Depending on the um, uh, opponent, we could potentially see a really good game, a really good series out of Bacchus then. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I really, really hope so. Uh, oh, yeah, so what happened was there was a turnover in the Canes zone, which is a bad place. You know, don't turn it over in your own zone. Yeah, you, you want to avoid that. Yeah. And so Corrali just had the puck kind of going to him. It went between his legs at first, but they say, like, oh, wait a minute, puck. And then he passed it on down to Nordstrom, who was who had just gotten checked, but he got out of it. And uh, Nordstrom just sent it over to Wagner, who just basically like tipped it into the net. You know, it was just right there at the net. It was gorgeous. And unfortunately, that was the game that Wagner would end up getting injured in later. Ah, uh, yes, block shot. Oh yeah, block shot. I think it was in the third, or was it, it later was, in the yeah, second? No. Yeah. So. And we still haven't been told what his injury is. Just that his playoffs are done. Sort of like how they're still being inexplicably cagey about Kevin Miller. It's like, okay, he's not playing in. You guys can tell us. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about both of those later. Okay. Yeah, because we'll, we'll talk about some injury stuff, but I just want to wrap up this series right now. Marshy! Oh my god, Marshy. 
Power play goal right after that, like later, what much later in the period, actually. Um, uh, it was uh, five minutes and seven seconds later. Five minutes and seven seconds later. I didn't write down the times. I don't know why I didn't do that. And basically, he fakes out McElhenney. McElhenney goes forehand, backhand. DeBrusque was screening in front, and boom, score. Basically, McElhenney was, like, on the other side of the net, and he could get it in. So it was gorgeous. It's a funny power play unit, actually. Um, looking at his um, assists were, were McAvoy and Krejci, who usually play on the, uh, the second unit. Hmm. McAvoy really went down deep to, to bring the puck into the zone, you know, before he handed it off to Marshy. But, hey, what works works, right? Even if it only works then, that, that was a crucial goal because it would end up being the game winner. It would. Yeah. Later on in that period, okay, this was... I don't know how much later this was, because I don't have the time on it. Uh, seven minutes and 20 seconds. All right, so it's not that much later. No, no, that was, that was quite a bit later. It's seven minutes, and, so it was 6.28 versus 13.48. Okay, well, Calvin DeHaan got his one and only goal. Yeah, and it was one of those goals where it was like, really, that's the one that's given up? As, as well as Tuka's played all playoffs, it was... Probably one he would like to have back, I would guess. Well, okay. You know, I watched it again and again today. And the thing is, is that he had his pads down and there shouldn't have been, there was like no hole there. It just slid under his pads and then went through his legs and it, it was five hole. But it wasn't like Tuco wasn't trying to prevent that. It's just that had he had his stick there, I think he could have blocked it, but he didn't. That's the way she goes. Sometimes goals go in. I don't want to crucify Tuca on this goal because the end result was Carolina lost. Yeah. I was going to say he's still only allowed uh, one goal on 36 shots. Right. I don't know what his overall stat for the playoffs were, but it was stupid for the whole playoffs. But for that series, it was just stupid how many goals he prevented. All right. So game four. Which was the series clinching game? Oh, and it was an absolute clinic. But yeah, the defense was unreal. And this is without Chara. So Grizzlick was playing on the first pairing with uh, McAvoy. So it was uh, Carlo Krug that were given a lot of the heavy lifting that game. Yep. Krug played 27 Krug played minutes. Tw- yeah. And give you some idea not that much of that was power player shorthanded he only played a minute 37 power play and nine seconds shorthanded presumably by accident um (laughs) (laughs) that's called the oh shit i'm still on the ice (laughs) or there's a face off of it right before the end of the power play which is usually when you see krug out there during the penalty kill like right, yeah, right before the end of the of the kill, rather. Right, yeah, that was just a great effort by the team and and Carolina. They, there were times where it looked like they were fighting to to be in the game, but they ultimately they didn't score any goals. And you can't win if you don't score. No, nope. they they just didn't have it. Here's the thing: is their shots were way down. Like they weren't. Carolina wasn't good that game. It's not just that Rass said no, like you had in pre, in several previous games. Carolina only had 24 shots on goal. Wow. That's not a lot. No, it's no. not. That's that's a uh... now, mind you, Boston also only had twenty-two. This was a really low event game. There were a lot of block shots, I think, too. Yeah, both teams. Both teams' defense played sound defense. It's just that, um, for all the the great things people say about Carolina's defensemen, 
ultimately they weren't good enough. And Jacob Slavin, who you know is or you know supposed to be the Wonderkind, was a minus two. Thunderkind. Sorry. <laughs> it's very important, I think, as a Bruins fan, to point out that Dougie Hamilton didn't have a good series, even in a losing effort. <laughs> no, that he makes did not. Me extremely happy. <laughs> me too. Well, I know it makes you happy, but like, I'm just like, good, good. Now, I wonder if people will eventually stop rushing to defend Dougie. It's like, you know what? He may be intellectual, and that's fine, but he can also be a weirdo. Those are mutually exclusive things. And I think he's an awkward weirdo that off puts, that puts people off. Some people are like that. Several of us here are probably familiar with that experience. But you're, but you're playing a team sport, and you can't be like that in a team sport. So Yeah, I definitely identify with the weirdo and the intellectual. I un- identify with all of that. I think all of that is bullshit reasoning because the narrative that is being peddled right now is that Dougie doesn't understand why he was traded. Holy fuck. Like all our reporters right away were like, um, no, <laughs> we, we, we explicitly knew why you were traded. Dumbass. Yeah. And the other narrative that's going along with that hand in hand is that Oh, he didn't fit the culture. He was looked at as being soft, and he's not a big, bad brew. And I'm like, no, no. Don Sweeney wanted him. He wanted him to stay. They tried working on a contract, and Dougie didn't want to sign. There was the threat of an offer sheet from Calgary. So at that point, he was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to trade you to Calgary. He signed for 250 k more than what he was offered here in, in Boston. Like- yeah, that trade return was a hair underwhelming, but eh, whatever. You know, I mean, it'd be better if any of the players we got from that trade were playing in this series. But anyway. You know what? I don't even fucking care anymore. We can sit and dwell on this all we want. But the, the main point we should take away from this is that Dougie wasn't good in this series. And guess what? If he were on your team, he wouldn't be good in this series. Because Dougie Hamilton, and I'm going to say this, is overrated. Yeah, I agree. He's honestly, he's exactly what everyone complains about Krug being. Except Krug plays like someone twice his height. Dougie Hamilton's big guy who plays small versus Krug and Grizz- Krug, Grizzly, and especially Clifton, who are small guys who play big. I have criticized Tory Krug's defensive play in the past, but he's really stepped it up this year. So. Uh, not that he was terrible in the past. It's just that it wasn't his strength in his game. But he's really stepped it up this year, especially in the playoffs. That guy is a tough little motherfucker. Oh, I, he, he plays. He, he he plays so much bigger than he is. Yeah. And again, there's people like, oh, we can't. You can't win with so many under six foot defensemen. I'm like, really? We're now putting Clifton in instead of you know the deliberately deliberately signed because he's six two, John Moore. Uh, Connor Clifton, to be fair, plays like someone nine feet tall, not like someone 5'11". But... Right. <laughs> right, right. Well, he's 5'10". Not that that means okay. a huge difference. The, the point is, is that Tory Krug can actually cover someone. And what we saw in game two was uh, Dougie Hamilton trying and failing so hard at covering Patrice Bergeron. And I feel like if you're supposed to be such a good defenseman, you should be able to... If you've had the luxury of playing on the same team as Patrice Bergeron for three years, you should have at least some clue how to defend against him. Yeah, just a little bit. Basically, uh, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm glad we're, we're done talking about Dougie, honestly, with this series. 
Maybe next year I will be a, uh, next season I'll be a better person and I'll just be like, you know what? I'm just glad that Dougie's not here and that's all I'm going to say. Or, uh, whatever. I'm glad with what we have. Uh, but right now, you know, this year I indulge in some hate as I have in the past. Maybe it is time. Maybe if the Bruins win the, the, the Stanley Cup, I'll just put the whole Dougie thing to rest and, and not care about it anymore. But, you know, I took great delight in seeing Dougie Hamilton fail to play defense as a defenseman. That was that really made my fucking series. It did, because, God damn it, he's bad at that. And that's his position. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's true. And on the, on the flip side, Charlie McAvoy had a really good series. So I'll take Charlie McAvoy over... Dougie Hamilton any day. Absolutely. Shit, man. Like this playoffs, like we've, I think we've already added a million onto both McAvoy and Carlos contracts, which is, you know, a great problem to have, but also an unfortunate one. Both of them have just been beasts this playoffs. With, with different skill sets. Well, exactly. Right. And (laughs) they, as I pointed out in the last episode, there was at least one power play when Z was in the box during game two, I think it was, where you saw both Carlo and McAvoy on the ice during the penalty kill together, and one of them was playing their offside. I think it was McAvoy. So I'll take that. I'll take that. Fuck yeah. Sebastian Ajo had no real success in this series, thanks in part to our defensemen. You know, this is just goes to show, you know, people talk about, oh, Rask is bad in big games. Really? I think Rask, in a career eight games, has allowed nine goals in Eastern Conference Finals. He's 8-0 with a 9-7-2 save percentage. Damn. And to top it off, so the Bruins had three games these playoffs in which they eliminated their opponent. In those three games... Uh, Rask has stopped 90 of 91 shots. Wow. One goal in three eliminate in three elimination games. Mm, amazing. Let's wrap up this game because I've got some more things to say about that kind of stuff. I don't want to get goal by goal here. I'm just going to say this. Ready? Game four. First line dismantled. No. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Jeff is always taking the rug out from under me. <laughs> But you're right. They were totally activated. It was like, yeah, two of them were power play goals. Yep. But it's like, you know, your first line was just, uh, oh, we had two power play goals and one empty netter. (laughs) So essentially, that was a shorthanded goal. I know it's not counted statistically as a shorthanded goal, but when the other team has six skaters against you and you still manage to score a goal against them, that's shorthanded. Um but yeah, the special teams or, well, that wasn't even special teams in that respect. But yeah, so basically starting in the second, you had Pasta and Berge with uh, power play goals. And then in the third, you had Berge again, even strength. And just some really beautiful efforts by Pasta to get that, that puck in the right position for Berge. It, it actually bounced off of Berge's skate. It, Slavin tried to get the puck out of the zone and clear it, obviously. Um, but it bounced off Bergie's skate, skate back to Pasta, who passed it towards the net, and Bergie went around the net to just take a shot. So, uh, I mean, catch the puck and then take, it, take a shot. Amazing. The big story of this playoffs is the Bruins have three players who haven't scored a goal. 
And two of them combined for 11 games played in Carson Kuhlman and uh, John Moore. The only other one is your boyest of boys, but that's not what he's paid to do, so it's fine. Scoring goals is just simply not something Carlo does. It's unfortunate, but, you know, you don't need to because there's other people to do that. Apparently, literally everyone else to do that. Okay, I'm going to make a bold prediction about my boys to boys. Oh. And we can talk about other bold predictions later if we want. But my, my bold prediction for my boys to boys is that he is going to get the series clinching goal. Boom. In, in the final. He's going to get the Stanley Cup winning goal. My boys to boys. Honestly, my counterpoint, my, my, my counterbold prediction was going to be the Stanley Cup winning goal on St. Louis ice. That who does? I'm sorry. Bacchus. Oh. <laughs> on St. Louis ice. <laughs> oh, wow. Ooh, I love these bold predictions. Tim, do you have one or do you want to think about it? Bold prediction that neither of those two get the game with the series winning goal and that the actual series winning goal is none other than Cliffy Hockey. <laughs> okay, Jeff, tell us about Bacchus getting that series winning goal on St. Louis Ice. Oh, uh, so like, so, so, so St. Louis, of course, is, has the second longest uh, cup drought in, uh, in the league. After the Leafs, it's one year shorter because, you know, the last the, the St. Louis didn't exist yet the last time the Leafs won a cup. That's correct. And the next season was the first expansion. Um, St. Louis has been to a number of cup finals and for a fact, their first three because, you know, the league was on fucking crack then and put all the expansion teams in one division and the original six in the other. <laughs> because that's how you do things. It's actually how you cause, you know, the expansion teams to perennially embarrass themselves in the cup final. Plus, of course, Bacchus was their longtime captain. So it's, it's only fitting, I think, if assuming um, that the Blues end up being the opponent. Uh, give you a minute. I'll, I'll come up with a bold prediction Give the other scenario takes place. All right. Well, uh, I'm just going to keep my blanket bold prediction as it is uh, because it, it's not contingent on another team. I just look at it like, why not have the guy who hasn't scored a goal yet and he won't score a goal in between? That's the caveat. Okay. He's not going to score a goal in between, but his goal will be the biggest fucking goal. That's what I'm saying. That's why I, I feel so strongly about it. I'll probably be wrong, but I feel very strongly about this, about being wrong. <laughs> oh, and Cliffy Hockey, huh? Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm really loving Connor Clifton. The kids just, he just gets everywhere. Like I was reading, so so Fluto had a really nice uh, write up about how Connor Clifton came to be as he is, and how the Bruins came to have him on Athletic this past week. And it was a really, it was a real delight. So did he spring forth from Robert Downey Jr.'s head, fully formed? He didn't mention that part, but I feel like there's probably some sort of gag order on the weirdness there. Uh, because you know the thing is, is that I have now decided to call Connor Clifton Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Okay. And by the way, I just want to, I want to, because I forgot to update this piece of news a long time ago I, when I figured this out, um, Patrice Bergeron's third child is not named Zach Jr. Jr. He's named Noah. That's, okay. That's less exciting than Zach Jr. Jr. But Cliffy Hockey, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. There you go. 
Uh, okay, so anyway, what did he say about Robert Downey Jr. Jr.? Um, basically, it's like, you know, he was... Uh, he wasn't being super heavy scouted. Quinnipiac coach actually saw him and his older brother and one of them both and got them to commit and then spent several years trying to dial Clifton back because he's a little too cliffy hockey sometimes, or at least he used to be. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd take vastly, enormously large numbers of penalties and penalties and get caught in pinches all the time and early in his time in, in, in his um, NCAA career. And they spent four years fixing that out of him the end the, the coyotes decided they weren't interested which was you know not a smart choice oh okay so uh, did they draft him yes he was drafted fifth in the fifth round um in 2013 i believe by by the coyotes and which makes it interesting another thing fluto pointed out is his story arc apart from actually being drafted is very similar to uh, another uh Bruins defenseman who um you know Took, played four years in NCAA at a, not a particularly heralded program. Quinnipiac's a better considered program than um, than, um, uh, than UVM, of course. And then signed initially to a, a AHL only contract, and then to an ELC, and then making the team. This one took a bit longer. Of course, I'm talking about Kevin Miller, mm-hmm. which makes it interesting. It's like okay, so the Bruins have pulled this off twice, so I'm kind of excited to see what happens with their latest NCAA signing that went direct to an AHL contract in uh, Cooper Zek. Oh. Jen, this is where you comment because you you know do AHL stuff. <laughs> yeah, Cooper Zek. I think he's going to actually be really good. Um, he played well as a freshman at. It was again. It wasn't a. I don't think it was a heralded school. Ferris State doesn't necessarily have a great hockey program. I don't think he led the team in scoring as a freshman, and then he signed with Providence. And in his four playoff games, he scored two goals, and they were really nice. They were goals where. He started the breakout. Uh, the first one, he actually just took it from the defensive end all the way himself, unassisted, boom. And then the second one he scored was he had the breakout pass, and then he came rushing up, got got the pass back, and scored. Nice. Yeah. Well, hopefully we have another Kevin Miller in the making. Well, he's a very different player than either Miller or, um, or Clifton, though, right? He's uh he's somewhere between Krug and Grizz from what I can gather. He's a very yeah. small puck mover. Yeah, he's five nine, I think. So yeah, he's small puck moving. Yeah, I think Bruins Network referred to him as like the midpoint between the two. Between Grizz and Krug. Which is actually a great place to be, really. Especially if it's the best parts of each. <laughs> right, right. I, I wasn't saying like exact copy, I was just saying yeah. success story. That's what I meant. Yes. Speaking of success stories, I heard Joe Haggerty this weekend on the AT&T Hockey Show. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, okay. He was talking about Tukarask and his hate-hate relationship with him. Although he will never admit that he hates Tukarask. I'm, I'm sure he'll meet, admit that all the players must hate him. Well, each and every one of them. you know, a few weeks ago he took uh, credit on NBCS and Boston, or M- NBC Sports Boston, for Tuka performing well in the playoffs. And then now he said, I want Tuca to win so that I can stop saying these things about him. Now, keep in mind, I am paraphrasing here. I'm aware of this, but like, who the fuck does he think he is saying shit like that? (laughs) (laughs) He thinks he's somebody important, Jeff. I mean, I think he thinks he's someone literate, too, but, like, I don't... There's no evidence to support that claim. (laughs) 
that's why when you guys were talking about Tuka a little bit earlier, I was like, oh, I want to talk about this thing, but I don't want to talk about it here because I just, you know, want to have it be its own separate little thing. Dude, you have the ability to stop talking shit about Tuka. You know, right now he's doing amazing. I honestly think that Haggerty wants him to fail in the final again, but he's not going to say that out loud. I agree. And you know what? Yeah. I want Tuka to succeed so hard in this final. I do. That no one can justify continuing to employ Haggerty or Felger or any of those other chuckle fucks? That'd be nice. Or that fans could just shut the fuck up. As Mac Hellman said the other week, the the minority of fans who hate Tuka, and it's a minority, are just very vocal. They're very loud. Well, well, well here's the thing about it, though. And the reason for that... The reason those fans that hate Tuka even exist is because of Hags and Felger. Let's 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 get the causality right here. Like 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 this minority of dipshit loud fans doesn't have to exist. It's because we have a minority of dipshit and not necessarily loud, but you know, with the most prominent platform possible media. Like And they feed off each other and they love each other and it's like, oh God, shut the fuck up. You know, watching watching Felger talk hockey with Tony Amante after games is interesting because there are times where he will say something and Amante's like, no, it's not like that at all. Like he was like, he was saying something about Tuca and it's like, well, you know, do you think that Tuca, like uh, uh, that the teammates, they must say something to him in the room. Like they say they don't read things, but they must read things or listen to things. Do you think they're saying things to him in the room? And he's like, no, it's not like that at all. They're not even talking to Tuca. You know, he's so in the zone, they're just leaving him alone. And guess what? That's what Tori Krug said. Like, I don't even talk to him. I was going to say, even if the goalie's not in the zone, I feel like talking to the goalie during playoff series is just like probably a blanket taboo, unless you're the captain of the coach. I don't want anybody talking to Tuca, and I, I think that Tuca doesn't want anybody talking to him. So that's fine to me. It's, listening to Tony Amante talk about hockey is a lot better than just having Felger talking to the wind tunnel that is himself, Hags, Maserati, occasionally Jim Murray. Although Jim Murray, I think, is better, but he, he at least believes in the team because he's a homer. So if you can do that, it's fun every once in a while for, for a month to say, no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Again, I think the, the biggest problem with guys like, like Felger and, and Hags isn't so necessarily their impact on the dumber fractions of the fan bases. It's the fact is that they're the most visible, which means that when people talk about the Boston sports media, they mean Hags and Felger. Like if they would, you know, say a Boston sports media, but actually be talking about Emily Benjamin, Matt Kalman and Ty Anderson, then it'd be a completely different goddamn story. And they're the ones that actually know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are there for the practices and after the practices and they see what's going on and they analyze the play. Uh, in some way, or at least give you updates on the play. Well, it was like Kalman did not report, you know, Dougie's claims about uh, about having wanted to be a Bruin forever for life and so forth at face value because he like openly like derided those comments as being flatly ridiculous because and and ahistorical. It was complete bullshit. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You know, I know that there's a Boston media slant in a way, and there's like what the teams put out to get the, the media to kind of buy it, right? 
But I don't feel like it was that way with Dougie. The Bruins weren't doing the Big Bad Bruins thing. And and if the Big Bad Bruins still existed, do you think they would have traded away Lucic? Nope. They would have um, uh, given him the contract that Tia did there. And um, uh, we'd... Screwed. Thoroughly, thoroughly and profoundly fucked, yeah. Yeah. Actually, Ben and I were just talking about the other day, like, the, the haul that you got for Lucic was actually pretty good. You know, we ended up with Sean Corrali out of it, among other p- players, so that's pretty cool. That fourth line, guys, is just, uh, it's amazing, even though... Yeah. And then they were and they were still good without Wagner, right? Like, uh, like Wagner... <sighs> I love Noel Achari. I mean, I think we can all agree Wagner is a better player than Achari is, and it still didn't miss a beat with Achari back in instead of for, in for Wagner on game four. It's next man up. Yep. And he also has the skills of, of a center, so he can do that stuff too. Did you hear the report about how the first line spoke with the fourth line and, and tried to figure out how to play like them? Interesting. I, I'd, I'd heard that I, I'd read about the um, about how they, uh, the first line had a sit down with the co- with the with I think it was Leach and Pandolfo. You know, it's like you know, figure out their shit. Not Leach, Dean. Yeah, Leach coaches Providence. Right, um, right. <laughs> it was sat down, had had to sit down with Pandolfo and get and Kevin Dean, and we're like, you know, it's like sort your shit out, guys. You need you need a head check, and then the game four happened. No, they, they really tried to figure out what makes the fourth line successful because the fourth line drives a lot of play into the offensive zone and keeps it there. And as we could see in game three, they definitely, you know, they got us on the board right off the bat. That was some hustle. And uh, other games, you know, they were just amazing. You know, here's the thing about that. And it's like, there's been notes at almost every series, like, oh, the first line's not producing. It's like... Think about which lines have been completely shut down by that by that trio, though, over the course of this playoffs, right? Right. Tavares and Meyer didn't do very much. Panarin, the Panarin line, didn't do a whole lot. And then, like, they, they managed to shut down Sebastian Ajo for the most part as well. So, like, this is – it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. I guess the thing is, is that they don't really look at the, the, the first line as being primarily a checking line. <laughs> but they basically had to go to what is supposed to be the checking line that has success and and go and see what what's dr- driving their play what's making it work and then game four they won that game all three of them oh yeah they were feeling it but you know i think it's really interesting i also found out last week through watching a video of both Bergy and Krejci talking to the media the centers all talk to each other about how they have success against other centers. Which is interesting because I've read other things that basically talk about how like Krejci and Bergeron, despite having been teammates forever at this point, aren't really buddies because they have a quiet rivalry. They're, you know, friendly and all that, but they're not buds. (laughs) Well, I don't think you have to be buds to go get information from people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They both basically said, hey, we talked to the other guys. We talked to Corelli. We talked to Coyle. We see what's successful, and we try to use that. It's a team, and even if you have a little bit of a rivalry with another team member, which is kind of stupid in a way, but Krejci for a long time was considered the top-line center, and then that shifted. And then, you know, there was a period of time where we are just like, okay, 1A, 1B. And I don't think that stuff should really matter. Krejci is paid like a... Top line center, I guess, in in Bruins money. But does it really matter? No. You just do your job. And you all got to the Stanley Cup final, and you should just keep doing what you're doing that works, and that's it. 
maybe every team does this, but if your fourth line center has a lot of success, then maybe you want to see what's going on. That's all. Yeah. Now, another question about that in general, as Krejci's having another great playoffs, he's, um, unless he has an explosion in the last round, he's not likely to be our top scorer, but he is currently our third top scorer behind Marshawn and, pa- and Pasternak. We've talked about before how we all think that Brad, that Brad ends up in the rafters, just like Berkey and Z. In the past, I thought it's like, no, Krejci won't make the cut. He'll be like the Wayne Cashman of the group. I'm not so sure anymore. Well, he finally did hit the 100 points postseason, right? Yes, he's he over. He's at 101 now, which means I think he's tied with Espo and is only behind Bork. He won't catch Bork. Bork has a ridiculous number of playoff points. Yeah, it's almost unfair. But, he, but he's ahead of Espo now, which is something else, or very close. I can't remember which exactly. I thought I saw that Espo had 104. Okay. Oh, he passed Neely and is in, and, and, and is closing on Espo then. Okay. Yeah. So, you know what? It could happen. How beautiful and exciting and wonderful was it to see Big Z, who was not playing in Game 4 because he had an injury, suit up and come out onto the ice for the presentation of the trophy. Oh, that was I great. did not ex- that was great. I did not expect him to come out in full gear. I figured okay, he'll come out in the sweater like say Horton did after the cup win in 11. Yep. But skates, pa- skates, pads, everything except his dome. Right. Great. He you know what? I got to tell you, he looked really good because he looked rested. <laughs> but, you know, he came out and how about that one gif? I think I don't know. I, I somehow or another thought of Tim when I saw this one where it's like he comes out and he's hugging all the players. They're all, you know, huddled up and, and hugging and he comes out and they don't expect him there. And then Pasternak comes from the other side of the pile and just goes and gets a big bear hug from him. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. And he, he looked like a, he looked like a proud father there. Yeah. Is what it was. He, he, he looked so happy and uh, so proud to be part of that moment. And I'm glad that, he was able to come out in in full gear and do that. Well, you know, that whole scene got me to thinking about a sitcom that we could make about the Bruins. And I was thinking it would be the Chara Bunch. It's going to be either that or like everybody loves Brad. <laughs> we could come up with so many. But I was thinking, okay, so David Chara is Mike Brady. I was thinking David Backus could be Mrs. Brady. And Patrice Bergeron would definitely be Marsha. And Brad would be Jan. <laughs> <laughs> and David Pasternak would be Cindy. <laughs> I know she hasn't come up with any of the boys or uh, or the maid. I guess Bruce has to be the maid, right? Yeah, maid. definitely. Yeah, so I need your help with the boys because I didn't think about the boys yet. I was just thinking about, you know, this perfect setup. Like, is Krejci Bobby, not Brett, Bobby, is he, um, oh my God, uh, Peter, or is he uh, Greg? Uh, mm. Who is Greg the older one? Yes. Okay. Mm. Greg, he thinks he's more popular than he is, and he's a little awkward. And then Peter is very awkward, but very self-confident about stuff. And then Bobby's just the little boy. So I think McAvoy's Bobby. Oh, interesting. Okay. I was thinking someone else, but I was thinking DeBrusque, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, better yeah. pick, actually. Yeah, it's a much better pick. 
maybe, well, maybe it's it's Krejci, Charlie, and Jake going down the line. Okay. So Jimmy, so either Jimmy Hayes or Matt Bolesky's cousin Oliver then, huh? <laughs> oh, what about their dog that disappeared? <laughs> Tiger. Tiger. <laughs> no, the dog, the dog that disappeared has to be the bear. <laughs> because right. he, it's no longer in commercials. It's just gone. Oh, they don't understand why they don't make the bear the real the real mascot, especially in a post gritty world. Oh, like I, I know Brit Blades doesn't terrify children, but like honestly, if you're there's no mascots, their entire purpose is to terrify children. Exactly. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't think they're supposed to terrify children, but I think that's what's happened by accident. But then again, what do I know? Man, I can't wait to come up with some more uh, sitcoms for, I mean, for these uh, Bruins players. I feel like the Family Matters version would be, we have Brad as Urkel for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, when he's Stefan instead of Urkel, he'll be like Brad all dressed up. Yeah, he'll be also Brad, but the last couple of years of Brad as opposed to like career writ large Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Or it could be Brad versus Bradley because of the just a slight difference in name there. No, 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 no. He could be Marchand versus Marchand. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. So let's talk about some injury news, guys. So Zidane Chara. Chara missed game four, but is supposed to be fine regardless of whenever it is game one happens. Game one is next week, and Zidane Chara practiced today, and they're going to see how he feels tomorrow. So if he has any soreness. Uh, before, he wasn't practicing with the group. He was skating before practice. So this is a step up. Meanwhile, Kevin Miller's face is officially on hood milk cartons. <laughs> he has a knee injury, and they're not talking about it that way, but he's been wearing a knee brace, and he's had MRIs performed, and things aren't going well for him. Yeah, they've stopped saying, you know, tentatively, oh, maybe maybe by the end of the series, they've just stopped saying anything at all. Like, up until the second round, they were still suggesting he might come back. Meanwhile, the media was saying otherwise. Mira's like, no. <laughs> uh, Don Sweeney officially came out on Saturday and said he's out for the series. Okay. You know, and he also came out and said that Chris Wagner is also out for the series. To the surprise of no one, that looks like it hurt. Yeah, I, I'm guessing he broke his arm. I can't imagine he didn't. They're not really wearing a lot of padding on those places. Yeah, I, I think he broke his arm, but they're not saying it. I don't know why, because he's out. You might as well say he's broken his arm. I mean, quite a year for him here, though, eh? You know, I mean, he, he signs with his hometown team, suddenly becomes a, a full-time NHLer for the first time in his career. Scored the most goals he's ever done. It's awarded the seventh player award in Boston. Start um is, is a healthy scratch early in the playoffs, but then comes back in and uh, and does well, and then has his Greg Campbell moment, breaks himself blocking a shot. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about the parallels uh, between him and, and Greg Campbell and, and when he blocked that shot. <sighs> I think he's a better player than even good Greg Campbell was, but that's just me. Yeah, even even good Greg Campbell was not as good as people 
seems to have convinced themselves. Well, this whole this whole fourth line is so freaking awesome. So it's so much better than Merlot ever was. Right. I was a Merlot enthusiast back in the day, but like so much better. <laughs> we really had no idea what a fourth line could be until we saw this fourth line. It's, you know, it's been basically, uh, you know, the core has been the same for the most part. In the last two years, we've just swapped out a player here and there. So, uh, but it's still, it's a good fourth line. And, and you know, I know we've talked, uh, not fourth line related, we've talked about the trade, how well the trade deadline's working out before. But just like, think about how little we paid to get Coyle and Johansson. Uh, yeah. A second, a second, two fourths. And um, uh, and Ryan Donato. So no fucking around. We legitimately paid less for both of them than they did just for Thomas Caberlet in 2011. And we got 40% off Johansson. That's true. They got some salary retained. You're right. Yeah. Like, like that's that is less than um than they paid for for, for Caberlet, who of course was a um what was it a first, a second, and Joe Colborn. Oh wow. So a prospect, a second, and a first, basically, versus uh, a second, a prospect, and two-fourths. It's nice. I, I can't help but think that it's one of the reasons why Don Sweeney became a nominee for GM of the year. <sighs> yeah, and I'm just – that's something else. I missed the uh, actual announcements from that, but, like, holy fuck. Really? Who are, who are, who, who, who are the other nominees, just out of curiosity? Don Waddell, I think that's his name, from Carolina, and Doug Armstrong from St. Louis. Okay, I could see either of the others winning in the end. I don't think it's going to be. I, do, I doubt Sweeney won. My guess is Armstrong, but damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Interesting that interesting that Wilson wasn't a, nominee, a finalist, to be honest. Doug Wilson's the Sharks GM, right? He had a very aggressive summer last year, like... Frankly, you should get. You should have gotten a nomination just on that master that masterclass move with Mike Hoffman. Right, but you know what? The Sharks were expected to be in the mix, and I think the Bruins were expected to be in the mix, but maybe get knocked out by Toronto. This is true. We Bruins were supposed to take a we're supposed to take a substantial step back after last year, and up until the start of the playoffs, people were still saying, "Oh, the Bruins are worse than they were last year." Oh, are they now? About that. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, I can't believe it. I, 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 I have to pinch myself to make sure it's real. It's just also like who in their right mind could have even with Coyle not having like been as good as he's been in the playoffs yet for the Bruins. Who in their right mind could say that Riley Nash was a, was better than Charlie Coyle? Like I love Riley Nash, but like come the fuck on. Well, look. It took a while for Coyle to kind of fit into his spot. And remember, uh, Johansson got knocked out and Coyle was up on the second line for a little bit. So I didn't understand the Coyle trade necessarily. I wasn't sure because this is a guy who had been playing wing for a long time. But it turns out he was exactly what we needed. And I'm okay to be wrong or to not understand things and uh, have it finally clarified. And they have Coyle for another year at $3.2 million. Right, right. Well, that much I, I could point out to people. I could point that out so that they knew. But like, that's the thing is, we didn't give up that much for Coyle. Like, like Donato's going to be a great scorer, sure, but like he's a catastrophe in his own end. So that was like that was not much to give up for two years of a great third line center. It means they don't have to. It means they don't have to rush Studnicka next year. So that's good. Wow, this team—it just—it made it. It made it to the final. 
And David Backus. He's suddenly like a, a good player again. Well, I, I was going to say that David Backus is playing in his first ever final. And if in the event that the Bruins win, knock on wood, it'd be great watching Char sign pass him the cup first. Probably, yeah. And you know that's how it's, and you know that's what's going to happen because that's how it always works. You know that that's that's how that's all that's worked ever since you know Sackick passed it to Ray Bork in two thousand, or is that two thousand and one? Yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be an amazing time. I think he's going to be super stoked and excited. And I think that while it was a good idea to sit him out some games, especially in the Toronto series, but to bring him back in for that Columbus series was just the right move. I did not expect him to stay in through the second, through the third round there, but. Damn, it he looks good. Yeah, it worked out because I think he's just he's he's got the gear going. So by all means, use him. He's got the the leadership. He may not have the actual experience to be this far, but I don't think that means a lot now. I think it's all about drive. Depending on how the finals go, I have a feeling. I, I just have a hunch. No, no, no evidence for this, and I'm not going to be more specific. But I have a feeling that um, the Backus contract situation may resolve itself depending on the outcome of the next series. Maybe. And I and I'm not sure which side I'm falling on. I'm thinking two different scenarios there. But part of me's been thinking it's like uh, if they if they win, maybe Bacchus retires. Maybe. I don't know. I mean his concussion history is significant. Well that's where that, that's my line of thinking there is like if he gets a cup and he's got that concussion history and only two more years with only eight million more left on the contract. That's not a bad time to uh, pull the shoot, really. Oh, yeah. What's he getting paid in those final years? He gets a total salary of $4 million each of the two. Okay. Now, actually, if I'm him, I retire on July 2nd. Get the signing bonus. Get the signing bonus, so $3 million of that remaining eight. Wow. Well, we'll have to see what happens. So one of the things about David Backus making it into the series against Columbus... And then playing forward through there and presumably through the Stanley Cup final because it's the first one. And he's on fire for David Backus at this point in his career. Bruce Cassidy seemed to make a pretty good decision. And this week, there was a lot of talk about Bruce Cassidy in a former coaching position not making good decisions. Yes. So Cassidy, of course, previously head coached the Washington Capitals, for the 02-03 and 03-04 seasons. It did not go well. I mean, it didn't in the sense that they got the draft uh, Alex Ovechkin. And they should really be thanking him for that. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like that, te- I, I feel like that, te- that, that team owes him a big favor just, because, just for that reason. Um, Cassidy was a very young coach then. He wasn't really ready for the show. So this week, a former player of his... Something called a Bates Patagula. Fuck Divine, no. Said, like, I, he, he can't believe that he's still coaching, that he was an awful coach, but then also says that he hasn't been following the sport. Yeah, that, I think that was the most curious part of it for me, hearing him say he hasn't really followed the NHL. He's not a big, you know, he follows some stuff, but he's, he doesn't follow it in general and not very heavily or closely. And I'm like, you're a former player in the NHL. Played 600 games, so it's not like he just got a cup of coffee. And he doesn't watch the NHL. And apparently is judging a coach based on his work. No fucking around. Rapidly approaching. <laughs> rapidly approaching twenty years ago. And it was what it. He coached like maybe a hundred games total, something like that. 
Yeah, because he didn't finish that second season. Yeah, he got fired like 28 games in or something. I mean, again, that season did result in them drafting Ovechkin, and it did result in a fire sale that, you know, among other things, they, they got a bunch of picks and stuff out of the Bruins for Sergei Gonchar and Michael Nylander. We don't talk about that playoff series, though. Mm. I, I really hate how this bullshit comes out when somebody has success, right? When they're on the verge of something big. Uh, yes, I remember when Bruce Cassidy took over, I did find out about his previous co- coaching stint, and I was a little bit worried and skeptical based on that. But, you know, time is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And in time, you can age, you can gain experience, and you can be a completely different person than you were then, and a different coach. Great example, as a Bruins fan, is the is the inverse, is Mike Sullivan. Yeah. A good but not great coach is distant and bossed him. He gets fired, and he doesn't get a head coaching job again for a decade. Gets fired midseason and goes on to win back-to-back cups. I don't remember anybody dredging up any of that stuff when he was winning the cup. Yeah. I mean, Sullivan was a better coach in Boston than Cassidy was in, in Washington. But Cassidy also had been brought on the thankless task of coaching an old team um, just before it fell off the cliff. In fact, unfortunately, he happened to be the guy in the driver's seat when, it, when a second wheel went off and the thing tumbled, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of that circumstance. But like, again, Cassidy was a very young new coach at the time. He was not ready for the big show. That said, him getting to the big show then is probably a big part of why he was able to become a good coach much, much later. Right, right. It was so long ago, and he's gained so much more experience. And, and part of that was like 10 years in, uh, in Providence, <laughs> or however long it was, where he got to learn to work with young players and see what worked and what didn't. And they accused him of so many of the same things that he currently does, right? But not maybe he just does them better than he used to. That Pataglia guy uh, accused him of uh, mixing up the lines. And I'm like, he does that. He, he loves the line blender when things aren't working. That's a sign of a good coach. Like, I remember before the, you know, you know for, for years, even when they were still winning cups, Hawks fans would complain about how Quenneville was constantly line blendering. It's, you know what it does is it, it confuses the opponent. It's a great thing to do as long as you're finding good, make good groupings. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have good players, it's not going to work. And I'm sorry, Bates Pataglia, the fact that I've never heard of you ever at all means that, you know, at best you were okay. Maybe kind of good at times, but, you know, good enough to play in 600 games, I guess. Right. So whatever. Maybe he was disorganized. Maybe he's just not explaining this correctly, but I don't know. I think that, uh, like I said, time and experience really improves your coaching like anything else. And that's all I have to say about that. Yep. Oh, yeah, about Cassidy. I've heard a couple of things about Cassidy. It was another one where might have been the Steve Dangle podcast where he, where Dangle and the other one of the other guys – it was mainly the other guy was saying how he doesn't think Cassidy really does that much. And it's just like the team goes out there and plays and he kind of just is there. And I think their reasoning was when Brad was doing something that like he, he said, Oh, well, we'll have to talk to Brad to try and get a, try and get a hold on it or something. And they were like, well, you shouldn't have to try to get a hold on something. They said that they don't think Cassidy has any, the attention of anyone in the room, and he's just kind of there. Dangles a moron. Yes, he, he is. Um, 
he is doing the leaf um, um, sadness tour, basically. Uh, you know, why don't we talk about Nazem Kadri and what a hold that uh, Mike Babcock has on him? And and how like just 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 thoroughly and profoundly he fucked you guys. Like, come on, like focus on uh, focus on your own house, you dipshit. Yeah, don't go don't go uh, throwing stones at glass houses here. Yeah, it, I mean that's the Toronto way, though. Well, that and that and how does this affect the Leafs? Doesn't it was a trade between the Coyotes and the Abs, you fuckhead? <laughs> yeah, lots of things don't affect the Leafs, and yet the world still moves on. Basic Bates Pataglia probably has some valid points in what he was saying. But times have changed. Things are different. This team has been different since Claude Julien was fired. They have made it to the playoffs in each year. And each year they go further. Yes, each year they've gone further. They, they lost in that first round against the Senators in that first year. But that's because of the trap and the fact that, oh, I don't know, the officials didn't want to let uh, Sean Corrales score any goals. He had to score four to get two on the board. I'm still a little pissed off about that. We had no defense. Our defense was beyond decimated. Last year, we made it to the second round. And yeah, we lost against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, which was a better team. Let's just face it. It was a better team playing better. And we still had defensive core problems because we had no Krug and no Carlo. Just to name two right off the top of my head. I'm sure there were other ones because I, I don't really remember specifically. My, my brain can only think of so much. But anyway... This year, what did they fucking do? They made it to the final. So, to me, Cassidy must be doing something. He's having heart-to-hearts with his guys in Las Vegas about changing their play tactics. And he's pulling guys out of the lineup and he's making blender changes. And he shored up the whole long change problem. So, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me what he isn't doing. Uh, maybe it's not all him. Maybe he's got assistants who are doing things too. Guess what? That's what assistants are supposed to do. I, I just sit there and I'm like, if you don't want to assign credit to people, can we um, stop just saying like, it, you know, everything comes down to the players because the players need guidance. There's no player coach on the ice. I mean, Char is to an extent, but he's not doing it all. They won that game without him on the ice. So something was going right. Yeah. So, like I said, guy might have some points, but they're also from 15, 16, 17 years ago. And who gives a fuck? And that's all I'm going to say about it. <sighs> Let's talk about the schedule. Ugh. So, like, I've only seen it in a tweet or two. There's nothing on the Bruins website yet. What? Um, and I don't have. Yeah. Like, I have the schedule in front of me and I know game one's supposed to be next Monday. Correct. There's the 27th, yeah. yeah. Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to come up with it. Watch watch me come up with the schedule, because I am. Please do. I, I, I am. I am. I'm going to come up with the schedule. Let's see. Aha, here we go. Ready? I'll read the schedule this time, guys. Okay. okay. I had so much fun doing it last week, but I really hated doing all the other stuff. Ah, okay, so your complete cup schedule, Stanley Cup schedule. Keep in mind, we don't know who we're playing yet. We're going to guess St. Louis because uh, San Jose has had like five or 6,000 players knocked out of the lineup since um, in game five. So here's your complete cup schedule. Game one will be Monday, May 27th at 8 p.m. at the TD Garden. 
game two will be Wednesday, May 29th at 8 p.m. at the Garden. Game three will be Saturday, June 1st at 8 p.m. at either St. Louis, uh, which is, I can't remember what they're called, and uh, San Jose or, or San Jose. We'll figure that out. Game four will be Monday, June 3rd at 8 p.m. at either St. Louis or San Jose. Game five, if it should be needed, will be Thursday, June 6th at 8 p.m. at the Garden. And a game six, also if it should be needed, will be Sunday, June 9th at 8 p.m. at whatever place uh, that isn't the Garden. Game seven, should it be needed, and it will not have Justin Williams in it at all. It will be Wednesday, June 12th at 8 p.m. at the Garden. Yay! I did Yay. it. Yay. Also, what the hell? Because, oh, I mean, VA, it's spaced out. So you said you didn't like it, how it was so close together. Oh, yeah. If you're going to be traveling across the country, give the guys a little time to recuperate. That's all. Yes, it is a long, drawn-out thing, but uh, you know what? We had a really hectic first three series where it's like the Bruins would have like a day off in between the start of the next series. So, and we're getting a, a week off right now or a, a week plus off now. Yeah, it's like a week and close to a week and a half. And you know what? It's okay. I feel, I feel good. I feel good that the Bruins are considering nighttime scrimmages and they're finding ways to stay sharp. And I don't have any worries at all about Tukarask. I don't either. And also, the, say the series does tomorrow for the Sharks and Blues, and we do end up playing uh, St. Louis. That's only like a, a what a four day difference in terms of when the Blues beat the Sharks and the Bruins beat Carolina. I really don't think that those four day that four day difference is enough to matter whether or not the team's sharp or not between the two teams. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They're um, they have a long enough time off that it's not going to be like one's rusty and one's sharp. It's not like it's not like Boston and, and and Columbus. Yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about this at all. I'm not ready to make predictions about it yet because I don't know who it is, and I we have to figure out what we're going to do when we do know what's going on. I will want to think about it a little bit, and I I'll be honest, I'm not really thinking about it. Uh, by the way, my uh, the the jersey I've been wearing uh, that's brought us a bunch of luck. It's been Carlo. Of course, it's been Carlo's jersey wearing. You know, here's the thing: you know what I haven't I, I haven't been wearing jersey or even jerseys for any of the games this playoffs, and I appears to have been the right choice. Yeah, you can't wear them now. Yep. Likewise, for games I've watched, I've either not drank or drank cider for or, or drank um uh, strongbow for all of them. So there's that. Um, Beer is apparently not on the not an option for me during playoff games this year. Oh, Glenn's been hitting the hard liquor. That's what Same. he's been drinking. And it's been working. So, and not like he's not like drunk or anything. He's just been, you know, sipping at it. So, that's his that's been his go-to choice and he he's yep. wearing uh, an old-time hockey uh, sweatshirt thing that works for him. So, yeah. What's working for me is uh, the black velvet is going on a Stanley Cup run. It's been, <laughs> it's been working, and I'm pretty happy about it. And then also, I got a uh, for Christmas. 
I got, or it was either Christmas or my birthday, I got a Bruins Winter Classic t-shirt. It's just a white t-shirt. has the logo, and then it has the Winter Classic, like, uh, the Shamrock uh, logo as well on it. And that's been working. Just that combination's been working well. That's good. It, you know, when that cup comes to Maine, you're going to have to put the black velvet in it. <laughs> you're going to have to. I was going to say, at this rate, Tim, you have to put black the black velvet in the rafters at the end of the series. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's uh, it's it's gone on a hell of a run that I did not expect, and I am here for it. <laughs> All right, we should probably uh, wrap up things. I think. Okay. Yeah, we're we're probably going to record something else a little bit later, so not today, but you know. So. Listeners, you've been listening to Barely on Topic. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you like us, give us a follow. Rate us some stars, write a review, tell all your friends. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Barely on Topic, and on Facebook, at Barely on Topic Podcasts. And of course, there's always, if you so choose, our individual Twitter accounts. I am, of course, at Dr. Hand Grenade. I am at Tim A. Richardson. And I am at NobodyTalkToTuka.com. Also known as at VA from RI. Tim? Word! <laughs>